All right. Good morning. Hey, this morning we're excited because, come on, thank you. Uh, hey, uh, this morning I'm excited because I got to meet some folks today as, as I was coming in that are part of our, like, network outside of Northern Co So, like, in the house today we have people who tune in regularly from Florida that are here in town, and we have people from California, the other coast, uh, warm weather here bringing their sunshine. So give our out-of-town Crossroads Network people a big welcome. If you look around and you're not clapping, that's who it is. Um, so you're just, you're soaking it in. Yes, clap for me. It's so wonderful for you, for me to be here. So we just expect you to give a lot since you're not here often in the offering. No, I'm just kidding. So, hey, let me welcome you, uh, myself. I'm Ryan. I would be the only person who'd welcome you, myself. That was redundant, sorry. Uh, but I want to welcome you as well. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're a guest this morning, thanks for being here today. Um, we love what, what's happening around here at Crossroads and the, the, this great story that we're a part of in this moment here. So thank you for being present inside your program. There's a little note from me uh, that's written to everybody, but it's really especially written for those of you that might be here for the first or second time. And uh, my cell phone number is in there. And if you have any questions about Crossroads, about our church, our values, our story, questions about me, which is perfectly understandable, I have a lot of questions about me. We can explore them together. Uh, but send me a text message. I'd love to have coffee with you, help you get connected to what's happening and hear your story, share with you a little bit of my own story. And that's right in the program. And if you're here and you're not uh, new necessarily, but we've never had the opportunity to have coffee, I've never got a chance to meet with you personally, do that. Send me a text message. I would love to do it. It gets me out of all kinds of work I don't like to do. So I would really appreciate it if you took advantage of that. Uh, I would like to mention as well, before we get started with our talk, just this little membership brochure that's inside of the program. Cy mentioned it. It is kind of membership season around here. And what that means is every year, according to our bylaws, like what we have to exist is we have a membership and we have to check in and make sure uh, that people want to continue being a member, all that good stuff. And this is our way of doing it. So every year, uh, it's kind of a new thing, but every year our members just kind of reaffirm, yes, I'm in. They check the box. Oh, and new folks that have kind of come around. So we emphasize that membership is a way to just really fully participate and move from, well, that's the church I go to, to that's that's my church, like I am Crossroads. And there's no class you have to go to. You're welcome to ask any questions, all that good stuff. But really, you just read the back of this membership brochure. If it fits you, if it looks like you, uh, then check the box. And that's it. You're kind of in. You can check the box on the back of the Connect card. And there's also a way if you want to just ask questions about membership, all that good stuff. So uh, explore that. If you are a member and you have not yet uh, returned our email, You'll be getting a phone call soon <laughs> just to affirm, like, hey, we just want to make sure. All right, so uh, you can expect that happening. And then we move to the door knock, two people, we put suits and ties on and we come. <laughs> and we just scare the whole neighborhood. We just scare the whole neighborhood at that point. We walk the whole neighborhood and then we come to your door only and we knock. So no, so that's a membership what's going on around here. All right, so it is good to see everyone. Fall is approaching. I was in... Uh, New Mexico, went to Santa Fe yesterday and the day before. Yeah, good place to shop. Yeah, did a lot of shopping, a lot of walking and shopping. No, beautiful areas, that was fun, we enjoyed that. Good to see you. We have Tennessee in the house too. We have Nashville in the house as well. That's awesome. Caught my attention. It's just like 
the global community today. Anybody from out of the country, we can give you a special welcome as well. So uh, listen, quick review of where we've been in our TED Talk series. Uh, we launched a couple weeks ago with the story of Rebecca and Rupert, right? The foundation of the TED Lasso series. Now, if you're a guest, I am going to get to the Bible. I feel like I need to start with that, okay? If you're a guest... It's going to be a minute, all right, but just hang with me. We will get to the Bible, I promise, all right? I know it's a little deceiving. You're like, the book of Lasso, what did I get myself into? Just hang in there with me, all right? So we're looking at this big story of Ted Lasso when we're exploring uh, kind of some of the major themes and biblical wisdom that we see either being violated in characters in this story or that are really lived out. And so we started with the kind of foundation of it all uh, in season one, which was Rebecca and Rupert, who own this uh, football club, soccer as they call it over on the, across the pond, and, uh, and, and Rebecca just wants to destroy Rupert. They're going through a nasty divorce. He was pretty awful to her, and all she wants to do is ruin the thing that he loves the most, and so that week we really explored the dangers of taking vengeance, right, and what our tradition tells us about vengeance, and, and what, what is the alternative, and we talked about the power of forgiveness, and we said this, that only love given away can break the chains of evil received. That when we receive evil into our hearts, into our lives, when, when it's an action of someone or when we ourselves act in an evil way, we, we, we kind of put chains on us. And the only way to break those chains is through loving others, through forgiveness, right? And then week two, we looked at this character, Higgins, who's director of football operations. And we talked about the power of integrity and loyalty, integrity and loyalty. And most of us want to be a loyal and a person full of integrity. Some of us don't, but we're all a work in progress, right? Okay, now, we said that week that peacemakers, really, we model the loyalty and integrity of God. And we see that in the person of Jesus, who in our tradition, we say, is kind of the ultimate expression of God in human flesh, right? That's who Jesus was. And we see Jesus, we saw Jesus as a person of integrity, uh, who honored people, who was loyal even to death. And when we live with integrity and loyalty, that makes us dependable, right? And that also fills our hearts with hope, because we don't have to just trust in our own strength, we can trust in God, the, this presence, this compassionate presence that we all live and move and have our being, all right? So let me ask you a question to get us started. Loosen up your arms here. You're going to want to participate, text, whatever it might be. Okay, so let me ask you, have you ever had somebody in your life who has just kind of exuded towards you a judgmental attitude? Right? They walk by, they see your beat up old car, and they're just like, how did they get into this neighborhood? Or maybe you've done that. Maybe you've walked by somebody's driveway and been like, that thing, getting, they need to put that in the garage. That is destroying my property value, right? Or maybe at work there's somebody that they heard something about you and they just rushed to judgment. They looked at the way you dress. They looked at the way you talk, your accent, and they made assumptions about you. Most of the time, we don't like that. Most of the time, that kind of hurts our feelings, if we're honest. I know, I know a lot of, like, if I can be somewhat stereotypical, a lot of guys, they don't want to talk about their feelings. We don't want to say our feelings are hurt. We just want to get mad. It's terrible emotional intelligence, but we'll work on that, right? And most of us don't wake up in the morning, right, having experienced the judgment of someone. We don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today is the day where I turn over a new leaf. I love the way I feel when I'm judged by people, so I'm going to become a super judgmental person. And I'm going to just throw that out into the world. And I, my gift to the universe is going to be judging others. My gift to the world will be to make sure everyone knows where they belong and when they belong. Anybody ever thought that in the morning? 
We don't, right? And so today we want to turn our attention to a character who really helps us understand this idea of being judgmental, living in a non-judgmental, and that is Ted Lasso himself. How many of you are excited that we're actually going to talk about Ted? You can clap, I know. It's exciting, right? So Ted Lasso, for those of you that aren't familiar with this story, Ted is now the coach of the Richmond Greyhounds. And he's been brought there under false pretense, right? So we, he doesn't know this until later on, but basically Rebecca has hired him to come and ruin the team. He knows nothing about soccer, nothing at all. Doesn't know any of the terminology, doesn't know anything. And, and so he's there in the moment, like just trying to do his best, bringing his leadership to the moment. And the thing about Ted, right, is he is a consummate optimist, right? often to the point of his own pain. Like, he'll, he'll ignore his own pain, ignore his own trauma, just to kind of have this optimistic mentality and outlook on life. He's a brilliant leader, right? Great coach. And he seems to be a student of people. He seems to be a person who watches and listens and learns. And in one of the most iconic scenes of the whole series, what really does represent the heart of the story and the heart of Ted Lasso is this scene in the local pub where Ted is there and the whole gang is there, and so is Rebecca's ex-husband, Rupert. And in season one, episode eight, we find out that Rupert, to just be maniacal and to just stick it to Rebecca, has bought a whole bunch of shares back into the club. So now he's an owner and he has access to the owner's box. And the only reason why he does this is because he wants to torment and torture Rebecca. And he's shown up at this local pub, right, just to simply torture Rebecca. And he's there with his new wife, who's half his age, who's also named Rebecca, who he calls Rebecca 2.0. <laughs> See, right? Some of us just need it clear, right? When we try to understand the motivation of these characters, right? And so it's this really painful moment, right? And so in this moment, like he's kind of giving it to Rebecca and Ted is there and Ted kind of stands up and, and he kind of intervenes and he starts to stand up for Rebecca. Now, mind you, Ted doesn't know that he's there under false pretense. He doesn't know that he's just kind of a pawn in this scheme to ruin the club. But he stands up and he's going to defend Rebecca and uh, he starts talking about darts. And he starts talking about how they take their darts seriously and Rupert says, yeah, and he says, well, how about a wager? How about we play a game of darts, uh, whatever game you want, it's kind of a funny, funny scene, and he says, uh, here's the deal, if, if you win, you get to pick the starting lineup for the next two games, but if I win, you have to stay out of the owner's box. And so Rupert kind of judges Ted, because Ted kind of throws a dart and hits the board, you know, but it's not too good of a throw, and he just kind of judges Ted and says, you know, he just kind of assumes he's this, like, idiot from Kansas City, no offense to Kansas City, you know, and, 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 he, and he agrees to it, he says, absolutely, and he says, why don't we play whatever game it is, he says, no problem, and so here's the thing, as the, as the scene kind of comes to a close, right, they, they agree to do this, Ted has this wonderful moment where all of a sudden Rupert pulls out these darts that are probably worth like a billion dollars, you know, and, and he says, oh, do I have these with me, and then Ted says, oh, I forgot, I'm left-handed, and he takes a dart and he throws a bullseye, right? So it becomes clear that Ted's hustling him, right? <laughs> now, as you get to the end of the match, the, the dart match, uh, Ted has three darts left to throw. And he, he turns to May, who's the uh, owner of the pub, and he says, what do I need to get? And she names it. I don't even know what they are, but it's really complicated. He's got to get like two double, you know, quadruple lattes and a bullseye or something, right? <laughs> and so... So he says, oh, wow, okay. And Rupert, like with a snide smile, is like, all right, well, good luck. Good luck, Ted. And so Ted, in that moment, he starts to drop some wisdom, like Gandalf style, right? 
And so he's just kind of, he's holding the dart, and as he's throwing, he says, you know what, Rupert? Guys like you have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. And it used to really bother me. He said, but then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman painted on the wall there, and it said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. And then he throws the first perfect dart that he has to throw out of the three. And the, the like, pub is like, whoa, like they're getting excited. And he looks at Rupert and he says, so I got back in my car and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out. So they judged everything and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me, who I was, had nothing to do with it. Because if they were curious, they would have asked questions, you know? He says, questions like, have you ever played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Shoot, throws the second perfect dart. The pub erupts, cheering in disbelief. Rebecca's like holding, like she can't believe this is happening, right? And then Ted goes on, he says, which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 till I was 16 when he passed away. Ted takes a close look at Rupert, big deep breath, looks at the board, for some reason says barbecue sauce, and then throws the final perfect dart. <laughs> the place erupts, he wins, everybody's cheering, they can't believe it, and Ted raises his eyebrow, looks at Rupert and says, good game, good game. You know, Ted's speech in that scene is really this great example of the sources and the reasons and the dangers of judging people. It's such a beautiful kind of soliloquy. It's a space where we kind of learn why does this happen in our lives? Why do we have this tendency to judge people? Where does it come from? Well, first of all, judging people, like Ted says, it's just kind of a self-defense mechanism against our false self, right? That we all have a false self and a true self. The true self is that part of us that came from God and will return to God. The, the true self has nothing to do with our, how much hair we have or don't have, has nothing to do with how tall we are, our jobs, our sexuality, our gender. Those are all false self items. Our true self is the character and nature and the reality of that part of us that is eternal, that some might call the soul or the spirit or the mind, whatever we might, word we might use. And so sometimes the, 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 the false self takes charge and we start to feel a little small, so what do we do? We have to make others feel small so we can feel big. Or we have to make others feel wrong so we can feel right. Or we have to make others feel weak so we can feel strong. And it's that self-protection that we feel inside of us and that judgment oftentimes, it flows out of our fears. Right? When we're afraid that we're not that we're not good enough, when we're afraid that we're going to be exposed, right? When we're afraid of the, the pain that we don't want anybody to know, we're afraid of being wrong, we're, we're afraid of our future, we're afraid of, uh, of the fears that we, we just don't even understand what's happening in our lives, and we get overcome with fear, and so we just pass judgment. We throw it out there. We don't understand people. And that goes to like where our, our judgment kind of flows out of our biases. I know this is a word that some people really don't like, I just don't know how we, I just, to me, don't understand how we can't acknowledge we have biases in our lives. Our experiences and our education, our family of origin, the, the religious structure that we grew up in, our own demographics, how much money we make or don't make, 
the neighborhoods we live in, the people we hang out with, the, the authors that we read, all of these create biases that produce oftentimes a judgmental spirit in us, and it might even be an unconscious one. We might not have any idea, but it just exists there under the surface. And that judgmental spirit, right, eventually will strain our relationships. It will stunt our ability to grow as people when we always have to be right and they always have to be wrong. And ultimately, what, what judging people does is it isolates us. It isolates us from, from people. It isolates us from love. It isolates us even from the experience of divine love because we're always judging and being critical. And it seems that Jesus, we're getting to the Bible part now, it seems that Jesus got that this was a big deal. And for some reason, for the last 2,000 years, the followers of Jesus, who invented a religion in his name, which I'm not sure he ever wanted to happen, but that's okay, we're here now. It seems that Jesus got that there was significant danger in letting a judgmental spirit develop, which is why I think he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 36 through 38, he says, be merciful just as your father is merciful, right? Jesus believed, and we've talked about this, but in, especially in our Fresh Perspective group, if you're not a part of that, you can sign up and go through that, but Jesus believed that ultimately God, like the very nature and essence of God was compassion, was compassion. And, and one of the texts that, that we understand is this text where Jesus says, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful is often translated, be compassionate as God or your father is compassionate. So what is mercy or compassion, right? It is sympathy that's ready to help. Sympathy that's ready to help. Not just, oh, I'm so sorry, but I've got to go. <laughs> no, it's sympathy that's ready to help. And then Jesus, after he says, be compassionate, be merciful, just as your father in heaven is merciful, he starts to give like super practical ways to do that. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Now, I know this is confusing for a lot of us. <laughs> I'm just not sure why. I mean, this is like one of the clearer ones. Like this isn't like, oh, we got to figure out the parable. We got to understand what did Jesus mean by coming in the clouds of glory, right? We, there's none of that. It's like, don't judge and you won't be judged. Like that's a good deal in my mind. I'm like, I like that one. That one I like, Jesus. The go sell all your possessions and give to the poor. We should probably break that one down a little bit, figure out exactly what Jesus meant there. This one, I'm just willing to take at face value, right? Don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. I mean, that's good stuff. Now, I actually don't think Jesus is talking about in a relationship with God. I think he's talking about in our relationship with peers. Now, that'll kind of blow your mind for a second, because you might have heard, well, Jesus is saying, if you don't judge people, then God won't judge you. I think what Jesus is getting at is something different. And then he goes on, he says, forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you. See, Jesus believed, I think, that the essential nature of life was reciprocal. How many of y'all ever heard the phrase, what goes around comes around, right? Now, that one we're not sure Jesus said, okay? <laughs> but this, this is it. See, I think what Jesus is saying, what goes around comes around. You want to walk around and be judgmental? Everybody and their mother is going to judge you. If you want to walk around not forgiving anybody, guess what? You will never receive forgiveness. If you want to walk around condemning everybody, everything that isn't like you, then you're going to live your whole life being condemned by everybody else. And he says, give and it will be given back to you. See, life is like a boomerang. 
What we throw into the universe, what we sow into it, we will reap. Paul uses that language, the law of sowing and reaping. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you, he says. And he goes on and he says this. Some of you have heard this. It says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Sounds like a good mixed cocktail. <laughs> shaken up, running over. It'll be put into your lap for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? What are we giving that is given back to us? Is it money, which most of us have heard this passage used right before the offering? Come and raise your hand if you've heard this right before the offering. Come on. Let's just own our trash, right? And that's a garbage way of, that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. Jesus was a peasant who had nothing. And, and what actually Jesus would say, the problem is our economics, right? So Jesus isn't trying to tell you how to get richer. He's not even talking about money. What is it? In his context, he's saying it's compassion. It's, it's forgiveness. It's mercy. That's what you get back. You want to have a beautiful marriage? What do you pour into it? Compassion, mercy, forgiveness. You want to have a marriage full of strife? You want to have a, a relationship of parenting that's full of judgment, and kind of, then judge and condemn your children, judge and condemn your spouse. That's what Jesus is getting here. But here's the deal. If you will pour into that marriage, it might take a while depending upon your spouse. I don't know. But if you'll pour into it over and over and over again, that's what comes back to you. That's what you receive. You want to work in an environment at work that's filled with mercy and, 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 and grace and judgment-free, then you do that. You pour it into it, and that's what will come back to you. A great story of, of really an inability to do this is found in Mark chapter 14. There's this beautiful story in the Gospel of Mark uh, where Jesus, is, it's his final week of his life in the story. And he's traveling from uh, outside of the city and into Jerusalem. So when he's in Jerusalem in the Gospel of Mark in his last week of his life, that people are protecting him in the temple. And at night, when he leaves Jerusalem, he's being protected by friends and family where he's headed out, up to Bethany and Bethpage. And so he's there at this house. And it says, while he was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table, and a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. So he has this, this, this jar of perfume, very, very costly. And she broke it open, and she came, and she just began to pour the ointment on his head. And this is a weird scene, <laughs> But there's some people there, they get this as weird. And in anger, the text says, they say, why was this ointment wasted on Jesus? Oh, man. <laughs> like, we got 2,000 years of like, oh, them's fighting words. Like, but in the moment, it made sense, right? They said, this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Like, a whole month, like, huge waste. Like, I think it's like half a year's worth of salary. I mean, everything. And these are very poor people. Very oppressed people. Like, it makes sense. They're not, they're not coming to a bad conclusion here. And it says that they scolded her. They just judged her. You see, some of the people in this story that were around Jesus, they weren't really curious. They were just convinced. And the truth is, if we're honest, a lot of us in our faith, we're not really curious. We're just convinced. We're convinced that we're right. We're convinced that, that, that we know it. We're, we're just not curious. We're convinced that we're right. Everybody's right. But they were so convinced. They were convinced that this woman had done something foolish and wasteful and selfish. And why would Jesus do this? Why would he allow that? They were convinced. 
in their model and their understanding of the design that God, this being in heaven, would have been angry with their behavior, not pleased with it. And say they thought Jesus was with them. They thought, like, Jesus surely had Jesus, a smart guy. He's got to believe this. But Jesus said, let her alone. <laughs> and Jesus asked the question, why do you trouble her? Kind of a rhetorical question, but you've got to admit it gets to the point if you're the person standing there giving her a hard time. Why do you? I think I've said that, Jesus. <laughs> and what Jesus wanted to know, there's something else at play here. And I love that Jesus was so full of compassion. He was so, so modeled God and his vision of God that his compassion could help him see beyond conventional wisdom. Because the, the crowd that was there, they were stuck in conventional wisdom. It made perfect sense by the economics of the world. This is a waste. But Jesus, because he's full of compassion towards the woman, sees it differently. See, their understanding was limited by conventional wisdom that said this was wasteful. But Jesus, he had a better perspective on the motivation of this woman. Like he understood, he was curious enough to know in the moment, like here's what's happening, here's why she's doing this. She's not doing this to be wasteful. Jesus says, you'll always have the poor with you and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you won't always have me. Remember in the gospel story of Mark, this is his last week. You're not always going to have me. And I love this next line. I love it with every fiber of my being. Jesus says, she has done what she could. I love that so much. She's done what she could. And she anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Just hang on to that statement. She did what she could. In the letter of James, Chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, James is a leader in the church of Jerusalem after the resurrection. And James says this to the people he's writing to. He says, you must understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. You must understand this. Hold on to this. And he says, be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Slow to anger. Because that produces the justice and the righteousness of God. And see, what I think these stories tell us is that curiosity, right? When we're slow to speak and quick to listen, it opens us to the divine perspective. And what is the divine perspective? That's the justice of God, the righteousness of God. And we're so stuck in our Western moralistic way of thinking. We see that as a list of right and wrongs, but it's not. The justice and righteousness of God is about the way humanity ought to be treating one another, right? A world in which everyone has enough. And when we live curiously, our hearts are open to that reality, right? What is curiosity then, right? It's to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's the opposite of those in the story, right? Of the woman who anointed Jesus. It's the complete opposite. They were quick to speak, slow to listen, quick to be angry. And so God's righteousness, God's justice that the book of James talks about, right? That's the divine perspective of love. The divine perspective of compassion, of mercy, amidst the reciprocal nature of life. So when we know what goes around and comes around and what we're throwing out there, we recognize, well, God's desire, God's will, the justice of God, the righteousness of God is for the people of God to put mercy into the pool, right? The, 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 the justice of God is to speak up and to say, no, wait, wait, wait. Like there are inalienable rights. There is the reality of human dignity. And it has nothing to do with our abilities or our education. It's just the very nature we're made in the image of God. And so here's what I, I love about this story. I love about what Jesus says. Is that, and we think of it like this, compassionate curiosity. 
right? A curiosity that's driven by compassion to see what's going on assumes people are doing the best they can with the hand they're dealt. I love that picture of that woman. Like she's just doing what she could. The, what she had had been saved up. And she saw this as the perfect opportunity. And whatever had happened in her life, whatever her backstory is, we have no idea. But in that moment, Jesus knew that she was doing the best that she could with the hand that she was dealt. And so it wasn't wasteful. But Jesus said, no, this is what she's... Who knows if the woman even knew what she was doing? I mean, that's a different twist. What if this woman was like, I don't know, Jesus smells a little bit. <laughs> What if this woman wanted something from Jesus? What if she had a sick child, a sick family member, and she shows up and she does this extravagant gift, hoping to get something back? We have no idea what her motivation was, but we know Jesus comes and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you judging her? Listen, this is what she's done. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> Absolutely. Who knows? But Jesus, with compassionate curiosity, says she's doing the best that she can with the hand she was dealt. And so rather than judging people as right or wrong, as sinner or saint, compassionate curiosity is empathy. It's empathy that asks questions, and it seeks to understand and to then give mercy. And that really is the heartbeat of Ted. <laughs> Ted seems to be this beautiful picture of living a compassionately curious life. He's always throwing out into the university kindness, non-judgment, compassion, forgiveness, and it seems to come back to him. And there's this the beautiful example of this in season two, I think it is. Season two, there's a storyline where one of the players, Jamie, uh, who played on their team in the first season for a little bit and then was traded, he, he's looking for a team, and he's a terrible teammate, great player, but a horrible teammate. And, and when he played for the team, there was all kinds of problems. And, and Sam, one of the players on the team, who's kind of the opposite of Jamie, he thinks that Ted is going to bring him back to the team because Jamie's looking for a place. And uh, that does not bode well for Sam. And so there's this beautiful scene where they're out on the pitch and they're practicing and, and the whistle blows and Ted comes and he's, he's trying to give Sam some advice on a pass, right? Telling him what he needs to do and, you know, kick it a little bit harder and Sam just snaps in that moment. And, and you have to understand, Sam is this kind of meek, quiet uh, individual, and he just snaps. And he starts yelling, and he says, do you think you can do better? And he yells, and he kind of stomps off the field, and he's swearing at Ted, which is really out of character for him. Not out of character for other characters, but for Sam, definitely out of character. And Ted's like a little embarrassed. He doesn't like, he's like, what's going on? And there's a sports psychologist who's observing the team, so he's now even more embarrassed right? Because he doesn't want the sports psychologist there. So there's this like moment where it's like, okay, what's he going to do? And so he kind of walks off the field. And he goes out back to the training room to Sam. And he says, Sam, 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 slow down, slow down. Like, you got something you want to talk about? Sam, no, no. And Ted says, really? Because it seems like you got something on your mind. You know, something like I'm angry about a mysterious thing, so I'm going to do some cussing now. <laughs> and he says, Sam says, well, I mean, I'm angry, and I did cuss, and I, every time I do, I regret it. <laughs> so he immediately feels bad. And then they have this like, really funny exchange about why we feel bad when we cuss, because we don't know which cuss words to use at the right moment. And so you got to work through which cuss word to use at just the right moment so you don't feel bad about it. You know, it's really a funny scene. And then he says, Ted says, come on, Sam. 
talk to me. And Sam says, I can't believe you're bringing Jamie back to the team. Ted responds with confusion. What? And Sam says, I saw the picture of you and him on Twitter. And then he goes on and he says, how many locker room punch-ups have we had since Jamie's been gone? And Ted, just real quiet, says, none. None. Haven't had any. And Sam says, nope, you're right. We haven't had any. And we haven't won yet. But we will. I believe that. Don't you? Just because Jamie can score goals, that doesn't mean he deserves to be here. And after some silence, it's clear that Sam is still holding back. And, and Ted just looks at him. It's like Sam wants to say something, but he doesn't want to say it. And he just gives him some space. He's curious, and he wants to draw it out of him. And Sam says this quietly. No teammate has ever made me feel as bad about myself as Jamie did. Ted says, look, Sam, I understand your anger towards him. And Sam interrupts him. He says, it's not him. I'm mad at you. You didn't even talk to us about it. And Ted says, honestly, Sam, I didn't think there was anything to talk about. I told Jamie it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and Sam now is a bit confused. And you can see him kind of shrink backwards. And he says, oh, this is awkward. I feel awkward. And Ted says, I bet. And then Sam says, did everybody see me stomp off the field? And Ted says, no, 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 nobody saw that. Yes, everybody saw that. Everybody saw it. Come on. And he's super embarrassed. And Sam says, oh, of course they did. He says, coach, I'm so sorry. Ted says, it's okay, Sam. All right. You're a leader. And I want you to speak your mind. Sam starts to smile. And he says, thank you. And then he said this, as you know, my father says every time he sees you on TV, he's very happy that I'm here, that I'm in safe hands with you. That's what happens when we create that space where people can come and encounter God in a place that's free of judgment, where people can come into your home, into your life, into your cubicle at work and know, I won't be judged. I won't be judged. I'll be greeted with compassionate curiosity. And Ted finishes the scene because Ted is just compassionate and curious. And he says, well, I, I appreciate that. But you know, I still got to make you run a bunch of laps, right? And Sam says, I was hoping you would. And so in your everyday normal life, like this scene in the, in the locker room is such a good picture of a of a, of a of a principle that can feel like out there, like, oh, let's be compassionate and curious, but it's such a good, like living color example. Like Ted could have gone in that room and as the coach demanded respect and yelled and thrown him back out there and made him apologize to everyone. And he could have told him he was completely out of line, but it's a beautiful picture of the power of just living differently. See, Sam was guilty of judging. Jamie was guilty of judging his teammates, which created such a terrible environment But Ted says, I, there's a different way we can handle this. 
And so he didn't create, Ted doesn't create a, a scene that's, that's crafted from his fear of, oh, what's the sports psychologist thinking? Or what are the other players thinking about me as a coach? Or what are the other coaches thinking about me if I don't put him in his place? No, he comes and he treats Sam with respect and dignity. And he just assumes that Sam is doing the best with the hand that he's been dealt. And so in our everyday normal lives, when you walk out of here and you go into your office, you go into your PTA, you go into the garage, wherever you work, whatever you do at this time tomorrow, remember that compassionate curiosity just means finding out what's going on. Sam, what's going on? What's going on? What's happening? And when we feel judged or when we want to judge someone, before we respond, let's make a commitment to find out what's going on. Let's ask good questions and let's listen. And understanding what's going on is a great act of empathy. It's empathy. And empathy is more than just understanding what's going on. Empathy says this, okay? And this is hard for us because we're so filled with pride. But empathy says, it. Empathy says this. If I would have lived the exact same life you have, if I would have gone through the exact same ups and downs, if I would have had the same things done to me, if I would have been taught the same things you were, if I would have done everything, believed everything that you have, I would have done the exact same thing you just did. So in our story, it'd be Ted saying, you know what, Sam, if I would have seen that picture and if I would have been treated like you were by Jamie, I would have made the same assumption. That's compassionate curiosity, that's empathy. And I want to encourage you to extend that compassionate curiosity to three people in your life. Extend that compassionate curiosity to your allies, the people that you see as with you. Extend it to those people that you think of as enemies or adversaries. Remembering what we talked about in week one, that our battle isn't with flesh and blood, but with fear and greed and doubt and these principalities in our world. And maybe most importantly, extend it to yourself. You got to extend it to yourself. And that will be the hardest person to give compassionate curiosity to. Why am I feeling this way? Why do I feel outside? Why am I angry? Why? Why did I respond in such a way? And dig into that and just, and, and receive it in a not, don't judge yourself, just receive it. Just go, why do I feel this way? And if we'll do that, if we will live with compassionate curiosity as a guide for us in our interactions with one another, and we sow that into our world, what happens is space is created then in our lives for conversation and reconciliation. Not confrontation, <laughs> conversation. And that's just a little different. Ted could have gone into that training room and confronted Sam about his bad attitude and don't you walk out, don't you treat that way and you shouldn't blah, blah, blah. No, but, but his compassionate curiosity created space for a conversation to happen. And as, we, as he listened and understood and hold to the truth, right, there was reconciliation. So as we wrap up here, and we're going to have communion together and sing a couple of songs. What is it that God's inviting you into today? Maybe... Maybe one thing that, that God is whispering into your heart is to accept God as the non-judgmental, compassionate spirit that's with you as you navigate life. Maybe you have an image of God as this being in heaven that has a finger and is pointing down and is just trying to get you to do certain things and not do certain things. And that image of God has just left you filled with fear 
But there is an alternative image of God in the biblical tradition and in the life of Jesus that, that God is compassion. This compassionate spirit that we can live and move and have our being. And maybe you sense the spirit of inviting you into just responding with compassionate curiosity rather than being quick-tempered. Asking questions, looking to be part of a, of a space of solution and conversation in what's ailing you or a relationship or a work environment. And here's a tough one. This is the tough one. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness of someone. Maybe you were quick to judge. Maybe you treated someone poorly. And you just sense God saying, I gotta go. And I need to ask forgiveness for not listening and asking better questions. So we have communion today. Juice and bread. It's gluten-free. The little, all the cups are recyclable, so put them in the recycle bin on your way out today. And as we receive communion, they just use this as an opportunity to reflect. Give yourself, it's a spectrum, right? Give yourself a spectrum, like, where am I in compassionate curiosity? How, how quick am I to speak and slow to listen? How slow am I to speak and quick to listen? Just think about it. Just ask the universe. It's amazing. There are prayers that we pray that, that God answers right away. A little self-reflection, mindfulness. And, and as you hold the bread and the cup, let them be examples of a Jesus who had so much compassion and curiosity. He just listened, asked questions, and let that be a nourishment to you. If you're a guest today, everyone is welcome at this table. This is God's table, not ours. We are not here to say who gets to come and who doesn't get to come. And so it's an opportunity to experience the divine mystery. We talk about doing that every week. And so you'll find at these tables, if you're in these front sections at the tables here, there's trays. On each table, there's some elements. And then if you're in the, if you're in the bleachers there, there's a couple tables you can find. So as we sing this song, you're welcome to come and receive the symbolic body and blood of Christ that was broken and shed for all of us that we might live in this model of compassionate curiosity. So will you stand with me? And as we sing this first song, receive communion. And then I'll be back in a few minutes. We've got one other announcement and give our blessing and get us out of here for another week of seeing peace on earth through our lives.